I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of get off track here a little bit, and there's a reason why I want to do that before I get into the message, because I have something on my heart that I want to share with you. <clears throat> if you remember at the beginning of this series, I asked the question. This was many moons ago. I asked the question to you: How important are lost souls to you? How important are lost souls to us? And, you know, I'm not here to scorn you. I just don't see any new faces. I don't, you know, and that concerns me because we we all need to be concerned about lost souls. And I'm going to tell you why today. This This breaks my heart. How many of you saw the Grammys? Anybody see the Grammys? Good. Because Satan was on display there. I mean, on display. There was a young man who was in, not my youth group, but my friend's youth group. He ended up going to Christian college. He ended up becoming a preacher. And left that and just found out that um, he showed it on Facebook that he just received his certificate to be a part of the satanic temple. And I argued with him. I didn't want to argue with him. But um, one of the things that he put on Facebook that just really right through me made me have to respond to that. And I asked him the question because he already knows the answer. I said, when you have to stand before God on the day of judgment, because we're all going to have to stand before God on the day of judgment. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, is Satan going to stand up for you? No, Satan won't be standing up for you because he's going to be bound and thrown into hell. The only one, the only one that can stand up for us on the day of judgment is Jesus Christ. And I told him, choose wisely, my friend. We live and we die by the choices we make. And the reason why I say this is because Satan is alive and well. And he wants to destroy us. And the whole situation with Russia and Ukraine is satanic. The whole situation with our government and the corruption and all that stuff is satanic. It's, we have an adversary out there who wants to destroy us. He doesn't care about you. You know, the, this young man put the seven tenets the seven fundamental tenets of Satanism on online there. <clears throat> and all of them sound really good. But the thing that got me the most was when I saw where one school system in Pennsylvania has now allowed a satanic children's club at their school. And this young man said before, you know, read and check into it before you knock it. And one of my, one of my other, 
he's not a friend of mine, but he's an acquaintance, said, uh, no, nah, I don't need to do that. Satan is a liar, and Satan's going to be bound and thrown into to hell one day. And so I guess the reason why I'm saying all this is because the question begs us to answer is, how important are lost souls to us? How important are they to you? Because Satan is alive and well, and he wants to take as many of us with him to hell. That's what he wants to do. <clears throat> I even heard and read where some people said, oh, hell's just an, a figment of your imagination. It's not real. You know, blah, 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 all this. Well, if the Bible says it, whether you believe it or not, settles it. The Bible is God's word, the word of God, the one who created all of this. And so it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. You know, it will come to fruition eventually. And so I'm going to get off my soapbox now and get onto the message here. But I just felt like I needed to say something about that because it's been on my mind for a couple weeks now. And, you know, and it's just been really frustrating to me to see a man of God walk away from it all. And so my prayer has been to that, that the Lord would just have his Holy Spirit just working upon this young man that he'll come back to the Lord. So over the past several weeks, we've been looking at stories that Jesus told in parables and we've come to the end. This is going to be our last parable today. I'm going to start a new series next week leading up to Easter. But I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. <clears throat> and the question is this. Have you ever lost or misplaced something? <laughs> Maybe it's a set of keys or the clicker. I hate it when we lose the clicker. Or your phone or a pair of glasses or your car. In, in a busy parking lot. <laughs> Thank goodness for the alarm on those key fobs that help us to find our cars because I've had to use mine often. <laughs> Is that a sign of old age? I don't know. <laughs> and, it, and the key fob works unless you've lost your keys as well. <clears throat> then, it, then it doesn't work too well. I don't know about you, but I get extremely frustrated with myself when I can't find something that I've lost or misplaced. I would estimate, now I put here one third, but I would say I would estimate that I have spent at least a quarter of my life time looking for things that I've lost. That is frustrating, isn't it? It's so frustrating. Because sometimes it's hours or days or weeks before it magically appears and sometimes it was right in front of me and I didn't even see it. And I swear to you guys, I swear that there is a gremlin running around and hiding somewhere in my house and he's wearing one of my socks. I know he is. But, but the worst experience I ever had of losing something, misplacing something, is when my son, Ethan was about five years old. How do you, how do you misplace that? <laughs> well, I did. 
he was about five years old, <clears throat> and he dis- he went to sports authority with me. We I had taken a group of students down to Eastern Christian College, and we were going to do some um, service projects down there for them. And so I had a group of students down there, and we were doing some painting and all that kind of stuff. And one of the days we had off, we, we were there five, five days, six days, something like that. One of the days we had off, and we went to down near Baltimore to Sports Authority. Well, that gives you an idea. We were down near Baltimore. <clears throat> and we were in Sports Authority, and Ethan was close to me, but, you know, he had wandered off. Kid was always wandering off, wandering off. And so he started wandering off. And I said, stay close to me, son. Well, he didn't listen. Next thing I know, I'm looking for him and I can't find him. And I looked for like 15 minutes and could not find him anywhere in the whole store. And so I went up to the the desk there and said, I'm missing my son. and I have no idea where he's at. I don't know if he's in here or someone has taken him. So they they stood at the door, you know, they had a security guard stand at the door and we started looking all over and then they had the, some of the security team looking and looking and it took another 15 minutes before we found him. He was hidden. He was hiding from me under a coat rack. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> I kind of knew how Jesus' parents felt when they couldn't find him on their way home. It, it was one of those where panic sets in. I didn't know whether to hug him or to beat him, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I want to I want to change gears for a minute um, or two, and we're going to come back to this thing about lost things. You know, among the, the many metaphors used throughout the Bible to describe God's relationship with his people, and it's probably the most common used phrase or the common used metaphor is a shepherd with his sheep. We've talked about this before. You know, David wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. You know, and and Jesus used this imagery, identifying himself as the good shepherd. Remember in John chapter 10, verse 10, I believe it is John 10, 10. He talks about, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know my name. When I call to them, they know my name. So he uses that as well. You know, I'm not really sure if that's a compliment to us, being known as sheep. You know, if you were in a classroom of kindergartners, and if you could ask these kids, these children, if you could be any animal that you want to be, what animal would it be? And I don't believe that there would be too many that would say, I want to be a sheep. Maybe if you're doing a Christmas play. <laughs> but I don't think you'd find too many college sports teams using a sheep as their mascot. Maybe a ram, but not a sheep. Can you imagine saying the Penn State Nittany sheep? <laughs> is there such thing as a Nittany sheep? I don't even know what a Nittany lion is. <laughs> Or the West Virginia Mountaineer lambs. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. That just doesn't sound right. Just doesn't go. You know, people will even use the word sheep as an insult, implying that a person is just a follower that doesn't think for themselves. Hmm. 
Yet, these are the creatures to which Christians are most compared to in the Bible. And perhaps it's because they naturally flock together. They just do. They naturally flock together. Sheep are very social creatures. Um, they enjoy living in groups. You know, there is safety in numbers, they say. Or maybe it's because of how worrisome they can be. I mean, sheep can be very worse, worrisome. A, a, a sheet of paper blown by the wind can frighten them. A, a thunderstorm can throw them into such panic that, that they die. Or, or possibly it's their relationship with their shepherd. You know, sheep are able to identify. Did you know this? That sheep are able to identify human faces and voices, remembering them for years. For years. <clears throat> they won't follow just anyone. They will hear and obey the voice of their shepherd. Or it could be their tendency to wander that makes them worthy of comparison to us. Their comparison to us. You know, I think that this seems to be the primary parallel of the parable that I'm going to share with you this morning. It's the parable of the lost sheep. You know, one day Jesus was sitting probably in the synagogue preaching God's word. And as usual, a crowd started forming around Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, it seemed like crowds were following him. They wanted to hear the words of life from him. But Jesus not only drew decent folks and respectable citizens, Jesus drew tax collectors, he drew street walkers and other notorious sinners. They were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. They just were. And as if on cue, who starts grumbling? The Pharisees. The Pharisees start grumbling. How dare he socialize with such sinners, they started to whine. So in response, Jesus told this short story about a little lost lamb. This is what he says. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What a great passage of Scripture. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. You know, as with all of his parables, <clears throat> Jesus, he invents this story to illustrate some, some spiritual truth. And so Jesus understood the power 
of a simple story. Stories are capable of building a bridge from one heart to another that truth can just basically walk across that bridge from one heart to another. And as we think about this parable, I want to point out three similarities that we all share with that little lost lamb. I think they're important for us to see. The first is that we see that this this sheep, this little lost lamb, was lost. He was lost. You know, sheep have an intense, an intensive tendency to wander. They they like to wander. You know, the sheep nibbles on that that green grass right there, and when it finishes, it looks ahead. Where's that next patch? Where's the where's the next one? And then he goes up and he'll start nibbling on that grass in the next patch there. And on and on this goes. And, and the next thing you see is this sheep has nibbled itself far away from the flock and doesn't even realize it, but he's far away from the flock. <clears throat> the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. We have left God's path and we follow our own. You know, something happens the longer a sheep is away from its shepherd. Something that Shrek the sheep learned firsthand. Anybody hear about Shrek the sheep? There's Shrek the sheep. Look at that sheep, man. He is... He is, wow, quite the, quite the sheep there. This right here is, is Shrek the sheep. He became famous several years ago when he was finally found after hiding out in caves for about six years. Six years. Of course, during this time, his fleece grew without anyone there to shear him. When, when he was finally found and shaved, his fleece, listen to this, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds. Most sheep have a fleece weighing just under 10 pounds. He had 60 pounds of a fleece on him. For six years, Shek carried six times the regular weight of his fleece, which is enough fleece to make 20 men's suits. 20 men's suits. Simply because... He was away from his shepherd. He had the, the 60 pounds that had come on him. And, and there, there, there are some who say that this story isn't true, but I believe that it is. I mean, you can see him right there. Unbelievable. You know, we're, we're not all that different from Shrek, Shrek, though, are we? We're not really. For you see, the longer we are away from our shepherd and the further we get away from God's paths and away from the flock... The flock right here, away from that. You know, I was gone for two weeks. One week because I was really sick and the only because we were gone. I was still sick even though we were gone. You don't know how much we missed being here. I mean, there is, there is power. There is joy. There is energy to help build in the body of Christ. That's why we need each other. And, and this, this, this sheep had, you know, had wandered away, but that's what happens to us when we wander away. The further we get away from God's paths and away from the flock, the more weight we are going to accumulate in our lives. Absolutely. 
you know, a, a weight we don't have to bear. We don't have to bear that. We aren't weighed down by wool, but we are burdened by baggage. We all have it. You know, haven't you known to pick up a few stones to throw in your sack? You know, some of those stones can get pretty heavy, can't they? They really can. You know, Max Lucado, how many of you have ever read anything by Max Lucado? Okay, some of you have, yeah. He's got some really good stories to tell and some really good books there. But he has one book called When God Whispers Your Name. Anybody ever read that one, When God Whispers Your Name? Well, in one of the chapters of his book, it's called Your Sack of Stones. And he says that we all have one, or maybe some of us carry more than one sack, probably made of burlap, you know, that's itchy and scratchy, and carries all shapes and sizes of the stones that we collect. For you see, we all collect stones. Those rocks can start when we're in adolescence, such as making bad grades, being called names, getting mocked and abused. And then we become adults. And you know what? It doesn't stop there, guys. It doesn't stop there. We end up collecting so many more stones, stones of regrets. How many of you have in your sack of, your sack of stones, stones of regrets? You know, how about losing your temper? What about uh, losing control, losing, you know, losing our pride, you know, forgetting about our priorities? You know, stones, how many of you have stones of rejection or stones of guilt or, or stones of discouragement? You know, you, you drape that sack of weariness on one shoulder and maybe another sack that you're carrying on the other shoulder is the sack of grief. The sack of grief. Wow. Add to that sack of doubt, the sack of loneliness, and it gets even fuller with fear. What about that sack of fear? But the heaviest stones in the sack are those stones of sin. That's what they are. You, you carry a sack that's full of hatred and and pride, and and jealousy, and anger, and, and selfishness, and lust. Pretty soon, you're not lugging it over your shoulder, you're trying to drag it, because it's so heavy with all those stones that we've collected. No wonder, no wonder we're so tired at the end of the day. Bearing all those burdens... It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. That's why we can marvel at the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I I will give you rest. You know, when Shrek was found a professional sheep shear took care of Shrek's fleece, Shrek's fleece. He did it in 28 minutes, 28 minutes. Shrek's 60-pound burden that he had collected for six years 
was removed in 28 minutes. That's all. As our shepherd, Jesus offers to do the same thing for us, to bear the burdens that we were never meant to carry. We were never meant to carry them. He does so because he loves you. You know, and that kind of leads us to the second thing that I want to talk about. The, the, the second similarity between us and the lost lamb in Jesus' story. Yes, the lamb was lost. But you know, in this story, we can see that that lamb, that lamb was also deeply loved. You know, because the shepherd loved the lost, that, that one lost lamb, what he did was he, he left the 99 other sheep and he set out in search of the one that was lost. That's what he did. That's what love does. How many of you have ever read Bob Goff's book called Love Does? In it, what Bob Goff says is this. He says, love is sacrifice and commitment. Bob Goff goes on to say, Jesus wants us to, to love hungry people, to love thirsty people, to love sick people, to love strange people, to love people who are in jail, to love lost people. And he goes on to say, Bob Goff goes on to say, that's what I'm trying to do. Is that what we are trying to do? Come back to that question. How important are lost souls to us? You know, the, the prominent theme throughout his book is this. God's love for us involves action. That's what it does. God doesn't just say he loves us. He shows it. And the biggest way that he has shown it is through sending his son Jesus to die for us, thereby saving lost souls, because that's what love does. That's what love does. <clears throat> it reminds me of the CEO of a large company that needed to call one of his employees about an urgent problem that he was having. And so he dials the employee's home telephone number, which most of the time see is they don't do that kind of stuff. But he dialed the employee's home telephone number and was greeted with this child's whisper. Hello? Hello? Irritated at the inconvenience of having to talk to a child, the boss asked, is your daddy home? Yes, whispered the small voice. Well, may I talk with him? He asked. And the small voice whispered, no. <laughs> so the boss asked, well, is your mommy there? Yes, came the answer. Well, may I talk with her? Again, the small voice whispered, no. No, knowing that it was not likely that a young child would be left home alone, he asked, is there anyone there besides you? Yes, whispered the child, a policeman. Curious, the boss asked, may I speak with the policeman? No, he is busy, whispered the child. Busy doing what? asked the boss talking to daddy and mommy and a fireman <laughs> came the whisper back 
growing concern and even worried as he heard what sounded like a helicopter in the background, the boss asked, what's going on there? And the child answered, the search team just landed the helicopter. Finally, he demanded, what are all those people doing at your house? Still whispering, the little voice replied, they're looking for me. <laughs> How many of you would have wanted to wring that little boy's neck? <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you something. That little boy was deeply loved. And because he was loved, he was looked for. That's what, it just reminded me so much of that, that day that, that my heart just sank when I couldn't find my son. The lost sheep was loved, folks. He was deeply loved. And because he was loved, he was looked for. You were loved. And because you were loved, Jesus is looking for you. And I hope and pray he has found you. Jesus once described his purpose for coming to this world. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, this is what he said. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And even though it sounds cliche, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You're the apple of his eye. If if you're the bubble in his Pepsi, maybe it's Coke, or for Dixie it might be RC Cola, but you're the bubble in that. You know, and, and I've always heard it said that if, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. You know, if he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. You know, Jesus entered our world in search of your soul. He chose the nails and, and, and the cross to win your heart. That's what he did. Love compelled him to look for what was lost. Love compelled him to look for that lost sheep. You know, logic tells us, stay with the 99. It's only one sheep. And as Mr. Spock put it in Star Trek chapter number two, the Star Trek number two, he says this, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Remember, he was laying in that, in that, uh, separated from Kirk and, and he had just been exposed to all that radiation. And he says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. That's what logic says. But love says otherwise. He could have, he could have had a, a thousand sheep or even a million sheep and Jesus still would have gone after the one. He would have gone after the one. Because that's what love does. So what does that tell you about you? And how deeply important you are. Because let us all remember that we were all the one at one time. Weren't we? You see... Jesus doesn't love planets or populations. He loves people. He doesn't love multitudes. He loves men and women and children. And as St. Augustine put it, he loves each one of us as if there was only just one of us. 
So like us, the sheep in Jesus' story was lost, but that sheep was deeply loved. And finally, guess what? That sheep, that little lost lamb, was celebrated and rejoiced over. Notice, notice what happened when, when the shepherd found the lost sheep. He, he couldn't scold the sheep, or he didn't scold it. He didn't take a whip out and drive it back to the flock. Rather, what he did was he, he celebrated and he rejoiced over finding his lost sheep. And what does he do on the, on the trip home? He picks the sheep up and he puts it over his shoulder and he carries it home. He carries it home. That's a picture of him carrying us home. The trip home would be a joyous one. You know, let's, let's take another look at the conclusion of this story. In verse six there, he says, he says, and goes home. He says, then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then, and, you know, in, in case the, the point of the parable wasn't clear in their minds, Jesus states plainly this point. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's what he tells us there. How important. And he wants to, he wants to make sure that we get this, we get the point. Jesus doesn't just make this point and move on. He wants his listeners to underline it. He wants them to highlight it. He wants them to mark it bold. You know, he, he went on in this passage of scripture to tell two more tales immediately, two more stories immediately following this one. Each one had a similar plot, if you remember. Next was a parable about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one of them. And so she swept her house in search of every corner of her house until she found that one coin that she had lost. And in the end, what she does is she invites her neighbors to come over and to celebrate with her. Then there's the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son as we know him, who, who wastes his inheritance on wild living. But once he comes to his senses, he returns home and his father throws a party celebrating his return. <clears throat> Can any of us relate to that? Or maybe all of us can relate to that. Maybe you have never lost a sheep or a coin or a son like I did. But how many times have you lost your keys? Have you lost the television remote? Have you lost your cell phone? You know, as we talked about at the beginning of this message, what do you do? Well, you try to retrace your steps. You search every nook and cranny of your house. You tear the couch cushions apart, rummaging through your coat pockets and your pants pockets and, and under the sofa and through the woods to grandma's house we go. You know, and when you finally find the item you've been looking for, you might still be a little bad, but you get excited. We don't do it. But how many of you just feel like throwing a party because you've, I found the clicker. Praise the Lord. Come and, come and praise with me. You know, praise the Lord. Now I can watch what I want. You know, and, and I swear, I think Sarah has hidden that, that thing from me several times there. 
We all feel like throwing a party. You know what Jesus said in, in Luke 15, 10? He said, he said this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you ever wondered what makes heaven happy? Have you ever wondered that? How many of you remember a guy by the name of Larry Bryant? Anybody ever remember him? Christian Christian artist. We had him at PCTC a couple times. Long time ago. He was a popular Christian musician at one time. There was a song that Larry Bryant wrote that was inspired by his home preacher, Wayne Smith. Anybody hear of Wayne Smith? Wayne Smith was the preacher at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Wayne was a great preacher and he went on home to be with the Lord. But it was during a service that a person came forward to accept Jesus. And this is what Wayne said. He said, you know, when they flew the first airplane, the angels didn't rejoice. But this one person coming to Christ this morning is causing a celebration in heaven. That statement inspired Larry Bryant to write one of his most famous songs titled, That's When the Angels Rejoice. One of the verses goes like this. It says, when the Model T first hit the street, it didn't bring all of heaven to its feet. And when the first computer was born, they didn't blow old Gabriel's horn. There's only one thing that we're sure about that will make the angels jump and shout It's when a sinner makes the Lord his choice, that's when the angels rejoice. Remember that song? I love that song. Well, you know, in in his book called Just Like Jesus, how many have ever read the book Just Like Jesus? Max Licato. What a great book. I loved it. I love that book. Max Licato writes this. He says, Why do Jesus and his angels rejoice over one repenting sinner? He asked that question, why? Can they see something we can't? Do they know something that we don't? Absolutely. They know what heaven holds. They have seen the table. They have heard the music. And they can't wait to see your face when you arrive. As a matter of fact, better yet, they can't wait to just see you, period. When you arrive and enter the party, something wonderful is going to happen. And I believe it's going to be a final transformation that's going to occur. And you and me, we will be just like Jesus. Mm. I want you to drink deeply from 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. This is what it says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Wow. Of all the blessings of heaven, of all the blessings of heaven, one of the greatest, one of the greatest will be you. Will be you. That's how much he loves you. You are God's magnus opus. You are his work of art. 
the angels will gasp. God's work will be completed. At last, you will have a heart like His. You will love with a perfect love. You will worship with a radiant face. You'll hear each word that God speaks. Your heart will be pure. Your words will be jewels. Your thoughts will be treasured because you will be just like Jesus. So knowing all that right now maybe gives you a better spin on this question. How important are lost souls to you? Don't you want other people to experience what you're going to get to experience? Maybe being compared to sheep isn't all that bad. Being lost is no fun. I can tell you that for firsthand. But being loved, being looked for, being celebrated and, and rejoiced over makes it all worth it. Even Jesus was known as the Lamb of God and who wouldn't want to be like Jesus? So if you're, if you're feeling spiritually lost today, we can all be found. We can. Jesus loves you. He came to earth looking for you. And unlike the lost sheep, though, we all know the way home. We do. We need to trust and obey in Jesus as the Lamb of God who died for our sins. We need to accept Him as the shepherd of our soul. We need to, we need to come to the watery graves of baptism, as Romans 6, 4 says, to be buried with Him, to rise in this, this newness of life. And if you want to cause happiness in heaven, folks, if you want to cause happiness in heaven, if you want to cause the angels to rejoice, then come this morning as we close our time together. The angels will rejoice over one sinner who repents. And this morning we open up this opportunity for you to come if you need to. Maybe you want to place your membership here. Maybe you want to um, repent of something. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe you want to be immersed into Christ. But whatever it is, we give that opportunity to you this morning.